0: Welcome to Tribe Talk, where we focus on the topics that will help you improve your mental, physical, and spiritual well-being. I'm Dr. Elena Villanueva, and helping people improve their mental health is my passion. I'm Ann Hutira, and nutrition is
1: my passion. Together, we invite you to be a part of our tribe and learn how
0: addressing the root causes of your symptoms can bring you improved health and wellness. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the next hour of Tribe Talk. Hi everybody! We are super excited to have you joining us today for our Tribe Talk Live. We have two amazing experts joining us. And uh, one of them just so happens to be on our modern holistic health team. And that is Stacy Loop. And she is a yoga breath therapist and also an integrative nutrition coach as well. And then we have the amazing Gary Kraftsau. I hope I said that right, Gary. And, and Gary has, uh, has been a mentor of Stacy's for many, many years. And we have heard the most amazing things about Gary. Um, over the last couple of years. And now that we have a platform to help spread the knowledge of what yoga breath therapy can do for people and the benefits of yoga breath therapy, uh, we were super excited to bring on these two experts. And really, you know, with everything going on right now in the world, um, and with so many people, you know, chanting mantras of I can't breathe, that really concerns many of us who understand the power of the spoken word. And we feel that more now than ever, it's really important to bring to the forefront, the benefits and the necessity of yoga breath therapy in our lives. So welcome so much, uh, Gary and Stacey, we are super excited to have you both here with us today.
2: Thank you. It's an honor to be here. I'm happy and and looking forward to seeing what happens.
3: Also, honored to be here with each of you and anyone that's watching and will watch later. Thank you so much.
1: You know, let's get started by just kind of talking about the difference between yoga and yoga breath therapy because, and I know Stacey, you've worked with us here on the team with this because there is a big difference between the two, but you know, a lot of people who've never tried yoga before don't really understand that there is a difference in what we're talking about here between yoga and yoga breath therapy.
2: So I'd like to, to start with a comment because I've never heard the term yoga breath therapy. Um, uh, we use the term yoga therapy and in particular, I mean, the Sanskrit that, uh, tradition I was trained in is yoga chikitsa which is the clinical application of yoga techniques to address people who are suffering from whatever they're suffering from including structural conditions physiological conditions mental emotional conditions and both yoga and yoga therapy there which are different which we can talk about incorporate breath deeply breath is the medium through which the movement occurs in, in movement. Breath is the tool that we use to access our, and influence our autonomic nervous system. And breath is as well the tool that we use to balance emotions and clarify the mind. So breath is fundamental to both yoga and yoga therapy. I'd be curious to hear you guys, you know, is, is the word yoga breath therapy just a way of differentiating what you're trying to communicate to people? I haven't heard it before.
3: I I can speak to that, I think that, yeah, that we were really trying to emphasize as a team that one of my main tools, as you've taught me, Gary, for working um, as a yoga therapist, because truly that's what my certification is in, is in yoga therapy, but um, my biggest tool that I have is working with the breath with someone, so we wanted to distinguish and emphasize the breath in that title.
2: Well, that's a good thing to do, certainly. <laughs> so your question was about the difference. And, and um, so for me, breath is implicit in yoga, as well as yoga therapy. So uh, just for the sake of me using language that I'm familiar with, so I don't stumble over myself, <laughs> uh, let me just talk a little bit about yoga and then yoga therapy and the differences. Is that kind of the...
1: Absolutely, yeah. yeah
2: so, I mean, I think that... And and I want to say this respectfully, there's a general sort of, um, uh, in the public, including the yoga public, uh, a lack of understanding of the breadth and depth of the yoga tradition. Yoga is an ancient science that addresses the multidimensionality of the human system. In the West today, there are many who really think yoga is a form of exercise, and it addresses primarily the physical body the structure in fact the anatomy and then there are those who think yoga therapy therefore is therapy for the structure kind of like physical therapy so what i'd like to do and just i can do this in uh, briefly is talk a little bit about yoga and the breadth of yoga and then the breadth of yoga therapy and then their differences does that sound yeah. okay?
1: That's,
2: yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, they, they and let me just add quickly that yoga therapy is a subset of yoga. And the mother tradition of both yoga and Ayurveda, uh, of both yoga therapy and Ayurveda, which is the kind of Vedic, a uh, sort of more healthcare model, medical, quasi-medical system, are both, well, the tradition considers yoga to be the mother tradition. And yoga therapy and Ayurveda are the, the children of yoga. Uh, and yoga is rooted in an ancient perspective uh, about the human system being multidimensional. Multidimensional means, just using Western language, we have a, a gross physical anatomy that means our, our skeleton, our bones in their alignment, our muscles move, move the bones, uh, our, uh, uh, and our uh, joints, actually the, the bones in their alignment, the joints in their stability or range of motion, the muscles, their symmetry and asymmetry, and then our movement patterns. So that's our physical structure, but we also have our physiology, our organic processes. I always joke with the trainees that I'm training, what's after all more important, your hamstrings or your liver? Um, And, you know, so yoga isn't just about your hamstrings, it's actually more importantly about your liver, your physiology, and we can relate to our physiology through yoga methodology through the breath. The breath is that one conscious system controlled by the autonomic nervous system that's immediately accessible to conscious control. So it's a doorway between your conscious awareness and your autonomic processes, your digestive system, your cardiovascular system, obviously your respiratory system, your immune system, etc. And then we're not just in anatomy and physiology. We're also a, a, a mind. The mind includes our emotions and our changing emotional states, and then also our stories, our cognitive sort of identity in the stories we tell ourselves about ourselves and the world around us. And so yoga' is also about balancing emotions, uh, transforming dysfunctional or negative emotions transforming resentment to gratitude, etc., uh, And then also uh, rewriting the story, becoming aware of our cognitive bias, our unexamined ideas, the group thinks, so that we can see things clearly as they are, and then from that make choices that influence our behavior. So yoga is about the whole thing. And yoga is not just about asana practice. Asana is the tool the ancients evolved to help us with our structure, to help create alignment in the bones, Range of motion in the joints, stability in the joints, strong muscles, release chronic contraction, release tight muscles, strengthen weak muscles, and identify dysfunctional movement patterns that cause repetitive stress injury, and do neuromuscular reeducation. Not only that, though, we use the breathing in asana and then pranayama, the art and science of breathing, to influence our physiology, to regulate our cardiovascular system, to balance our hormones, to stimulate our immune function, to improve our digestion. So that breath-centric work in us and, and pranayama is very foundational for working not only with anatomy, but also with our physiology. And then pranayama is primarily that science that also then influences the mind, but not only breath for emotions, but also chanting, mantra, you talked about the power of language, and then also meditation for the mind, for the emotion, for the stories, and then through consistent practice, the ability to change our behavior. So come out of our addictive and dysfunctional behavioral patterns. And so that's the scope of yoga. And yoga therapy is a subset of that. Yoga is ultimately about awakening, self-realization. So when we use the tools of yoga, we're trying to understand and transform ourselves and ultimately become free. And yoga therapies can be much more, although it's a subset of yoga, so those goals are important in, uh, in yoga therapy. Yoga therapy is specific, like if you have a back pain, we can use these movements, not about learning to master your body or learning to master the, the movements, but to use the movements to help you relieve your back pain. If you're not sleeping well, then we use breath-centric movement and pranayama to help us Uh, create sympathetic, parasympathetic regulation, and to calm sympathetic overdrive so that we can sleep more. If we're having emotional disturbance or pain, then we're using the techniques of chanting, breathing and mantra to balance our nervous system and to uh, shift our emotional state. So yoga therapies like the, the, I would use the phrase clinical application of yoga tools, focused on individual's short-term and long-term goals in relation to their health and then what we're doing with both yoga and yoga therapy is training people to do their own practice so they become more independent in their own health care so i talked a lot so i'll stop for a minute <laughs> <laughs> i hope that's okay i i'm not very yogic but i'm drinking coffee so it's morning <laughs> here in california that
1: was a wonderful explanation and i think that really kind of clarifies it for people watching the difference between yoga and yoga therapy and how to to use it now stacy works with our clients you know here at modern holistic health using yoga therapy and has gotten such great success with that i know everyone that i talk to who's worked with stacy on some of these specific practices really compliments her and and says how effective they are in helping treat specific issues that their body's dealing with
2: yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like a student could go to a yoga class and they're learning yoga. They're learning techniques of movement, techniques of breathing, techniques of meditation. When a client goes to a yoga therapist, it's less about learning yoga than helping them manage their condition and learning tools that they can apply for themselves to manage their own condition. So it's kind of a different orientation, although it's one, really one tradition. And it's great. I mean, it's, it doesn't work for everything, but actually it can help anybody suffering from anything because it at least empowers them to do something through their own efforts that impacts and influences their own condition.
1: Absolutely, and I know you worked, I read in your, in your bio that you worked on a couple of studies with the National Institutes of Health, and one of those was for, um, correct me if I'm wrong, using yoga therapy to help with anxiety. Um, and a lot of people going through anxiety in the past couple of months, and everything oh, yes. that we've been dealing with, and in, oh, yes. in our nation and around the world. How does someone go about using this to help with with issues of anxiety?
2: Well, of course, that's a complex question. Yeah. But um, let me uh, let me say that um, when you have a state like anxiety, um, we use that term, and remember, we're multidimensional. So. Anxiety manifests in our structure. In fact, one of the common symptoms of anxiety will be neck and shoulder tension, or TMJ, gritting your teeth, right? Another a symptom of anxiety, more physiological, is that we can't sleep well. Our sleep is disturbed. And actually, you can have a kind of condition like irritable bowel syndrome, which is a, a, can be secondary to a symptom of chronic anxiety. Now, inflammatory bowel disease, IBD, would be something different, although anxiety can complicate that. So, anxiety can manifest in structural tension, it can manifest in physiological things like irritable bowel syndrome or like sleep issues. It could also create uh, cardiac arrhythmia uh, because, because of the impact of the mind on the autonomic nervous system, and then via the autonomic nervous system, influencing cardiovascular or digestive system. So different people will have different symptoms of anxiety physiologically. And then there's a whole emotional component to anxiety, uh, worry, fear, et cetera, uh, and then agitation uh, and distraction. And then out of that can come dysfunctional behavior. And we're seeing lots of dysfunctional behavior in the world today as well. So an anxiety, anxiety it, it creates kind of, it's like stress in the autonomic nervous system. So there are things that we can do if we, we go piece by piece. So I have structural tension as a secondary to anxiety. So without even solving the root cause of the anxiety, which we'll get to, I can use movement to release the neck and shoulder tension. Adapted breath and movement to help you identify the mechanism of contraction in physiology. Re- anatomical contraction in response to the anxiety trigger and learn to release that tension. I can use breath techniques to help me uh, sleep better. I can use breath techniques to help balance my cardiovascular rhythm or breath techniques to actually help me soothe my digestion. And then I can use chanting and meditation techniques to help me manage my emotions and then meditation techniques to revision what is the source of anxiety or my relationship to the anxiety covid is an example we can't change covid individually in this moment but we can change our relationship to covid so meditation so the the, the integrated use of asana pranayama chanting and meditation is the tool that we use to work with complex conditions like anxiety. And then the job of a therapist is to tune into the individual who's suffering from this condition and then find an entry point. It doesn't matter. You can begin with neck and shoulder tension or sleep issues or the emotional condition. Different people, you have different. You have to go in a different door. That's part of the skill of a therapist. But ultimately, you're helping people work at an integrated level with the complexities of their of the interrelationships between these different parts of themselves using the tools of yoga. I hope that's clear.
1: It is. Absolutely.
3: That's called finding the doorway in.
2: Yeah. And and, <laughs> and you that- know we can have five people with anxiety and enter five different ways. So that's the art of the, being a therapist.
0: Yeah. And and I think that we see some parallels um, you know, with the, with the area um, of the human condition that we're working in, which is, you know, um, you know, directly with the biochemical, you know, or with the biochemistry and, and, and epigenetic factors, um, you know, we have to triage and see, you know, well, where do we need to come in first? What do we really need to do first? Because oftentimes we find that there are many different causes that you know ultimately have compounded on top of each other that have led the individual into whatever condition that they're struggling with whether it's panic attacks you know sleep issues um pain mind racing whatever it is and we've got to go in and figure out you know what are the different you know what are all the different variables that are that are adding to this and then figure out well we you know what door needs to be opened first so that we can start addressing this and sometimes we have found that, you know, having them uh, go and do some work with Stacy first, um, or having them go do some, uh, some residence repatterning, like with Rosita first, uh, really needs to be done before we address anything else to even see if we can open the other doors. Sometimes, you know, we know that if we try to open the other doors first, it's, it's, essentially going to open up a Pandora's box and and we really need to go in and we need to start addressing some of these other, you know, parts of the, of that, of that individual before we go in and start trying anything with, you know, lab testing and, you know, changing their diet, you know, asking them to change their foods or asking them to make these changes or take these supplements or whatever. And so, you know, that's, that, I think that that's super important and, you know, skilled therapists really understand Um, understand that concept. Wouldn't you agree, Stacey? Absolutely.
3: I was just thinking it would be um, wonderful for you to explain to Gary or just talk a little bit more about what y'all do in finding that gut-brain connection and how a lot of the clients that come to Modern Holistic Health come because they're usually two things right they're struggling with some sort of digestive issue and in addition to that there's some sort of mental health issue going on and how those two like what's the research
0: how those two are linked
2: are you in the microbiome field
0: yes so um we are a team of functional medicine doctors naturopathic doctors nutritional therapists and epigenetic specialists And so, um, and we also have our yoga therapist specialist, and then we have also like a residency patterning therapist who also um, uses multiple different modalities, light therapy, sound therapy, um, you know, um, EFT tapping, different things like that. Um, But where we're focusing on is, um, you know, what is inhibiting the body from, um, you know, from doing what it naturally should do to like make its brain chemistry and to keep it in balance, um, to make its you know, reproductive hormones, you know, whatever it is in the body that can go out of balance, you know, whether, whether someone comes to us with an autoimmune disease or a neurodegenerative disease, we have a lot of Parkinson's you know, people that we are working with, and every single one of them um, has essentially reversed their symptoms. We had one get out of a wheelchair last week, and she's been in a wheelchair for 10 years since she was 50 years old, and she's up and walking with her walker now, first time, um, and, um, you know, or, or if it's a mental health issue um, or Lyme disease or whatever it is, and we go in and And we do, uh, we have a very data driven approach. So we do a lot of different lab tests so that we can start identifying what are the barriers to healing. Um, And yes, we do definitely understand that there are, um, you know, um, uh, barriers to healing that are not necessarily available in a test like heightened emotional experiences you know i.e you know um, traumas emotional traumas um or even generational traumas or just limiting belief systems because of whatever maybe the environment they grew up in or whatever and and so and and that's what we have Stacy and Rosita for so that they can work on that side you know the subconscious stuff and the spiritual stuff and that and then we work on all of the stuff that we can find in data. So, like we're looking at their genetics, we're looking for underlying mycotoxin infections, like, you know, mold infections, um, different types of bacterial infections that we know can, you know, not only affect the microbiome, but can directly affect brain chemistry production and conversion of different brain chemicals and such. Uh, we also look at environmental toxins so we can actually test for those um, many many different environmental toxins Um, and and once we can identify what these roadblocks are um, then we can start uh, um, you know actually coming up with solutions and protocols to help remove these different barriers whether it's mycotoxins or or environmental toxins or or a multitude of different things and you know once we can remove these different toxins, these different barriers, and get them out of the body, um, you know, then we can really go in and dial down on a lot of gut stuff. Because people who have any type of chronic illness, they all have gut issues, whether they realize it or not. And we can actually test for that now. We can actually test to see if they have a breach in their gut barrier. We can even test to see if they have a breach in their blood-brain barrier. Um, so all of these things are testable, and you know, whether the individual has, you know, a direct gut symptom or not. And we teach them that, you know, that uh, we've got to remove these things that cause the problems in the first place. And then we can go in and we can heal the gut we can heal the blood brain barrier, we can stop the body from attacking itself, you know, all these big antibody responses that people are having. And so yeah, that's, I mean, kind of in a nutshell, that's the side, you know, that's the side that I do. Will you be my
2: doctor? (laughs) I mean, (laughs) everybody needs to find, medicine has to, I think personally, has to evolve in this direction, because this is, this is so wonderful to hear you say that. Thank you I think the thank you that we add as yoga people, and most importantly is we're empowering individuals to discover what they can do for themselves to support themselves as they work with experts like you guys. so it's a beautiful compliment.
0: Thank you, thank you. you know, I really feel that um, that with all of the changes going on in the world right now and in, in you know and in the United States, um, you know i I see um, from my perspective, from what I'm seeing through my view box, you know, I see that a lot of things are breaking and a lot of things are crumbling, but I see it as a beautiful thing because, you know, we can't change and we can't have new and better. We can't do better until the old stuff breaks and our health system, it is breaking. I mean, it is so obvious that it is breaking. Um, and for those who are watching carefully, You know, there is a huge opportunity for for a a totally different model. Um, I feel the same way about what you do. You know, we need to incorporate a completely different model so that we can truly have future generations that are healthy and vibrant and happy and, and live full of joy and know how to live in their power and create the world that they want around them. And until what we have completely breaks and falls to the ground, we're never gonna be able to have that. And so I'm super, super excited to see what's happening and I'm excited to be alive in this time to get to watch this transformation because when people like you and people like us can rise up and show people that, hey, there are answers and solutions. You are not broken. Taking a pill for an ill is not the only solution. And you know, don't worry if it hasn't worked for you and you've been if you you've gotten sicker than you've ever been taking all these medications because we're here to help you. Yeah. You know
2: wow. you um, have so much passion. That's so beautiful yeah. to hear.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, thank nice. you see why I
3: wanted to work with her Gary yeah,
2: absolutely it's like she I mean you're a passionate excited vibrant person Stacy so I can see your team Wow it's extraordinary
3: yeah and look at Anne over here look
2: at her <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> you guys Wow well this is so important you know to be able to have medical people who understand the multidimensionality and the interrelatedness of everything. And not only then are using data, but also helping individuals learn what to do with that data. You know, having good therapists who can help them and then, and then us who can train them what they can do on a daily basis to help them manage their own condition. It's a perfect combination.
0: It's a perfect combination because what you're doing and what we're doing is we are putting the power back into the choice of the individual. We are teaching them to be their own guarantee. We are educating them so that they can take care of themselves and not blindly do what we've been doing for the last 50 or 60 years, which is, you know, we go to the doctor, we just blindly believe what they say. And, you know, and, and then when we can't get better, we start scratching our heads. And when we go back and ask them, how come we're not better? And they scratch their heads, then we all think we're broken. And, and you know, but people like you and people like us, you know, we are, we are here educating people and we're teaching them that there are answers. There are solutions. You know, you just need to, you know, just gently, don't be afraid, take your blinders off and start looking around you because there's so much out there that can help you. You know, we have taken people, and I know that that you guys have too, work with people who have been chronically ill in, in, in a multitude of different illnesses or diagnoses for years. And we can take these people and completely turn them around where they're not only not attached to their diagnoses anymore they're out telling the world about it. Don't attach yourself to your diagnosis. Don't believe that you are your diagnosis. There are answers and there are solutions. And so, you know, yeah. whenever people come to us and tell us, oh my God, you changed my life. Thank you so much. I just tell them, I say, go out and spread the message. You're so well-educated now. Go out and pass it forward and tell people about this type of work. Yeah,
2: this phrase uh, is something I use in Training therapists all the time, you know. One of the first insights in yoga is you're not your diagnosis, you're not your self-concept or your ideas you have about yourself, you're not your limitations. And beautiful. Well, I think I okay. think there's full agreement here.
3: <laughs> Gary, um, yeah. on that note, can you talk a little bit about your history with um, your brain tumor? And like going through that
2: process of. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting. One, one, uh, people ask me to, about that. and uh, uh, So in 2004, I was diagnosed with a 3.6 centimeter schwannoma in the cerebropontine angle. So I know that's very technical, um, but it means it was a, a benign tumor, but it was big in a very dangerous location. Um, and it, it's uh, the people that usually have that, usually just what my doctor said, neurosurgeon said, is drop dead. It's kind of sudden death syndrome because the uh, brain is so plastic. So as the tumor grows, it was pushing the brain stem all the way to, in my case, it was on the left to the right. by the, uh, And when it hit the skull, it couldn't go anywhere and the, any further, the brain stem couldn't move any further. And that's when all the Uh, The symptoms manifested um, and uh, I knew enough about my body to know something bigger than I could influence was going on. So I took myself in and he said, you dodged a bullet, basically. I had a seven hour surgery. um, And when I woke up from that surgery, it wasn't like I woke up back to myself. I woke up in kind of like almost like a dream. I had radical, I had neurological um, uh, symptoms as a result of the surgery including radical double vision and, and so forth um and you know what's interesting that uh, that i felt sort of centered and stable um and i was using inner practices because i've been this this happened uh, i was in 19 in 2004 so i started this inner yogic journey in, in 1973 so I had, you know, decades of experience and I, I was stable emotionally. Um, and I was, as I was sort of coming out of the surgery, I said to my neurosurgeon, do I need some kind of therapy? And he just looked at me, he didn't know anything about my background and said, you know, I think you know more about this than our therapists do. Because he was watching me do little micro movements with my hands and reintegrating my, myself. Um, And what was interesting for me is that as a therapist, I didn't know know any more actual knowledge than I had before the experience, but after the experience, the clients that I, more and more people started coming to me with life-threatening, even terminal illnesses. um, People who were living with chronic disease and people that had life-threatening and even terminal conditions started coming to work with me. And there was a difference in me Because of that experience, that enabled me to be more fully present with them, Uh, and so for me, you know, this these life experiences—if you don't freak out about them, but you learn from them—they're fuel for our own growth and transformation. And I just feel like I'm I'm lucky that I had all of this work in me because even after, after diagnosis, there was no asana, and there was no pranayama even because it increased cerebrospinal fluid pressure. After the surgery, there was, I've had three surgeries actually. The second two, I learned the, it's not a Sanskrit word, it's a Greek word, iastrogenic. I had complications as a result of the surgeries. And so for a long time, I couldn't do the asana or the pranayama. I was only able to do inner meditation, but that is really where the power of yoga is. That's why I'm always trying to educate the community that yoga is not just, Asana, asana is a small part of yoga. Asana serves the purpose of building our, what we call pranashakti, our energy, asana and pranayama, so that we can do the hard work of transforming our deep psycho-emotional patterns. We say that the the word we use in Sanskrit is samskara, is our conditioning. Like in movement, dysfunctional movement patterns like a, a physical samskara. But the deeper work is to surface these unconscious patterns that lead us into dysfunctional behavior and all these emotional dramas that, uh, that emerge out of that. And as you guys know, even a lot of our physio- physiological diseases are related to our activity that are related to unconscious patterns in eating and emotional stress with, the, with money and opposite sex or family relationships. So anyway, what I learned from my brain surgery, uh, it took what I already understood to a very different and experiential level. It wasn't just an idea anymore. I, I, using that word privilege, I feel like my childhood was relatively stress-free. I feel like I was very fortunate and I had always great teachers. I was in India when I was 19 and I became a student of Krishnamacharya and Deskacharya when I was 19 years old. So how did that happen? They say it's because I've been doing this many lifetimes. That's the only reason it could have happened. So I feel grateful. But when I've had suffering, which I've had a few, like I got married and that changed things. I had a kid, that changed things. I got brain surgery, that changed things. I had a divorce, that changed things. Whenever I'm challenged, uh, I've learned and deepened. And I feel like these, what I learned mostly from brain surgery, someone asked me as I was emerging from it, what have I learned? And I put my hand up and I went like this. Just sort of letting go of my attachment to my ideas. Um, uh, and, but I think it's very important that we see our health challenges and our emotional challenges as opportunities to grow, to help us understand them to grow. And I think that's the big lesson since you asked that I got from my brain surgery, that whatever happens, it's an opportunity to grow, to mature, to deepen, and then to be more able to be more present, uh, interested, open, compassionate with the clients that you're working with. Because once you've gone through it, you can really have a different level of relationship to what they're going through.
0: And isn't it also just amazing how the very people that need you who are going through something similar find you after you have walked through that storm, so to speak, and you've come out of it on the other side, you know, empowered And with the knowledge to know how to handle something like that and how to walk through it you know people find you and we are amazed every day Um, as coaches you know we have all been through our different you know health struggles um you know mine with you know really terrible physical and and mental um uh you know debilitation when i got really really sick at one point in my life and and um it took walking through, you know, opening up, letting go of everything that I held true and everything that I thought I knew, um, to be able to then, you know, or taking the blinders off to actually see what, what was there and that things could be totally different. And that started my journey to healing. And now I attract people. From all over the world, with neurodegenerative disease and chronic stuff, where the doctors are scratching their heads, going, "Well, we don't know what to do with you." You know, take the Xanax and go home. Take this Lexapro and go home. You know, and and Anne, you know, who has struggled with uh, with uh, celiac, you know, and um, and Hashimoto's. Okay. You know, now that she has walked through that, uh, you know, and she started with me as a, as a, you know, as a patient, like four years ago and she walked through it and, and, and now her whole life has changed and, and she now wants to pass it forward and, and help as many people as she can around the world. So she left her career as a news anchor and now does this type of work and people find her, you know, people Find us for these different things, Dr. Thompson, who struggled with Lyme disease, you know people find her um, and it's it 's absolutely amazing. people are finding you right because because you were able to walk through that and come out of it on the other side, transformed you know and now we are better for it right and 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 now we can help other people and and that is to me the most inspiring part of hearing all of these stories
2: well that 's part of the mystery of this world that we live in, that the right people appear when you're ready and open. And, and then the other piece is to have sources of inspiration. Like for me, as a young man, to find a teacher that had held authentic knowledge and was really no nonsense, just really the real thing. So that when I did run into this uh, life challenge, Um, I had that also as a sort of an anchor and a a sort of both an anchor and a sort of like a compass to help me keep moving forward in the right direction. So to be that for others, to not make it seem like it's about you. And that's been the problem in our field, in the yoga field, not only the yoga field, in the religion field as well, where individuals make them somehow act as if they're indispensable in your own growth and transformation or healing. And so then it becomes about, and that, happened, that, that created the guru sort of phenomenon that actually has been such a, a source of manipulation. In, instead, to be able to just be present with people and give them the tools that they can do for themselves and help them know that they have the power within themselves with the support of the knowledge of people like you and the tools with people like us who can teach them what they can do for themselves. That's what really propels them forward. So I just wanted to throw that in because we've seen some sad stories in the the world where powerful people uh, make other people think that somehow it's all about them instead of giving the people the tools they can do for themselves. Does that make sense? Yeah.
3: And I want to jump in on that point, too, because there's also the other end where people try to uh, learn postures, learn breath work. I'm thinking of how I see certain breath techniques or ratios put in general. Everybody do this, right, Gary? So um, that might not work for everybody. So it's always, oh, you flipped up there. It's always the answer is it depends. Like what's starting yes, yes. place for someone and the therapist has to evaluate and understand where to come in and what's appropriate for them. Cause what if they exactly. have a problem um, like asthma, for example, right? And then there's this information, everybody breathe this way. Um, yep. So I, I wondered if you could speak to that a little bit.
2: Well, in the other, the, you know, there's, for example, there were certain ratios we talk about ratio and it, when, breathing is you inhale and you exhale. But pranayama is actually complex because there's the inhale, there's how you control the flow of the air, how you use the muscles and the attention to control the flow of inhale or exhale. And then how long is the inhale in relation to the exhale and are you stopping the flow of the breath, like holding the breath in after inhale or out after exhale. So this science of pranayama is complex. And what I've seen in the public arena is that there's some generalized ratios, and sometimes they're actually dangerous ratios that shouldn't even be taught in public, that are being broadcast out there for everybody uh, without recognizing that, that some ratios are inappropriate and actually problematic, even potentially dangerous for some people. So people um, sort of assume that they can just figure this stuff out or read it from a book. And if, if they're not trained really, then there's some risk in, in people uh, teaching things that really are not appropriate to be taught to individuals. So we're, uh, the, 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 a well-trained therapist is, understands the different breath techniques and how they work and how they impact the system, can read the individual they're working with and have an understanding about what's going on with that individual, especially if they're a therapeutic client, then they'll have also feedback from the mental and physical health primary caregivers. And then with that information, their ability to assess the person they're working with, supported by the feedback from professional healthcare providers, and their knowledge of the effects of the techniques, they're able to adapt the breathing and calibrate it specifically for that individual. So it's risky for people. We say that um, the, the safety valve of pranayama is that people won't usually do it. But then if they're going to do it, we give them cautions uh, don't do this, don't do that. I mean, I don't know if you want me to give any of that detail in public. And then, and then more importantly, if you're really gonna do these practices, seek out a qualified teacher or therapist before you explore it, because you can create imbalances in your system. You know, the, the breathing is powerful and you shouldn't be just taking a ratio from a book that may or may not have any value for you. It might actually be dangerous.
3: And one of the things that I learned um, early on with Gary, because we have a long relationship, don't we, Gary? <laughs>
2: We're getting older. We've been
3: together for a long time. Yes. Um, I was in my mid 30s, and um, I'm not there anymore, but we've been together about 16 years or so, something like that. And uh, one of the first things that Gary ever taught me was breath is the deepest movement pattern you have. So, um, I think that's profound and working with the breath, all right? Like the first thing that happens when you're born is you inhale. The last thing that happens before you leave this body in this lifetime is exhalation. So, breath is with you all throughout life, your lifespan, and it's the deepest movement pattern we have. Um, I wanted, okay, were you gonna say something?
2: I'm just going to say that, you know, I think you're right, that one of the very most important things that we can offer people is uh, that they can influence their system, again, at a multidimensional level, through understanding and beginning to work with their own breathing. And it's right there. There's nothing closer, really, than your breath. And by working with your breath and learning how to do it safely, we can influence every aspect of our lives.
0: Beautiful. So, I, I just got a question. <laughs> I'm dying to, to jump into this part of the conversation because we're actually on with the two of you who are experts in this. But, um, you, know, because I, I consider myself like, you know, I know enough to know what I don't know kind of a thing.
2: That's a good thing to know.
0: Uh, yeah, <laughs> and um, but 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 you know, we I I have you here, and I think this question is so important for those who are listening, and we're recording this, so for those who'll be able to listen later, um, there have been protests going on all around the country, as you know, and um, I have you know never seen seen anything like that. Um, I've never participated in one, and. Um, you know, being here in Denver, we heard that there were going to be protests, and we live in downtown right now, and so uh, I decided I wanted to go, and my husband and my son, who have been visiting, my son has been visiting, um, they decided to go with me, because I said, Mom, you know, we don't want you to go, and go there alone, because we, you know, there may, there might be pepper spray, there might be rioters, like, you know, people like, you know, we want to make sure that you're okay, so I had, like, you know they were flanked on either side of me and we and, and we walked into downtown. i'm sorry
2: they're protecting you that's great
0: yeah they were protecting me i was like i could do this on my own and they're like no no we're gonna go with you and so we went because i just i needed to see this for myself and um and and i saw so many people with signs and then chanting you know i can't breathe i can't breathe i can't breathe and i feel like you know I can understand why they were saying that because of you know what had happened to this individual, um, but knowing a little bit that I know about the spoken word and the power of the spoken word and then and then also understanding how powerful our breath is, and it, it can control you know every part of our body and our thoughts and all of that like it 's all integrated together can you speak to me? I mean, have you had any concerns or what are your just personal thoughts on that? Because as I was there watching this and I was really like taken aback, like I didn't even know what to say because as I realized that what they were saying could be affecting them and creating a whole new reality for these people speaking those words like, like a chant, like this, almost like, you know, I started thinking, oh my gosh, are they putting a spell on themselves? And then, and I mean, and that sounds kind of woo woo, but you know, (laughs) we can always, we can always use different words, you know, and just say, oh my gosh, are they manifesting future problems with their health? Because they are saying, I can't breathe, totally unknowing, you know, they're, they're trying to be in support of something that they're believing in, and they're trying to speak out against it, you know mm-hmm. um human injustice you know um but when i saw that i felt alarmed inside and i thought oh my gosh they should not be saying that and i just want to hear from the, you know two experts here because i hear you talking you know using words like you know pranayama and these you know things that i just want to know you know what what are the potential effects that these people are going to have by by doing what they have done.
2: So I have a cu- couple, I was wondering when you started talking about this, where is she gonna go with this? I have no idea what she's gonna ask. So here's what I would say about that, now that I've heard you and, and reflect, you know, I can reflect briefly on what you're saying. I wouldn't worry that people who say in a protest, I can't breathe, they're not saying that they can't breathe, they're saying that, we need to breathe. And you know, this guy said, I can't breathe, and you didn't listen. So, they're, but it's not that they're using a mantra that is repeated over and over again with deep connection to the meaning of that mantra and the feeling that it invokes. That can influence your system. But I doubt that they're sitting in meditation saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe over and over again. So saying it a few times in a protest, the message. I hear what you're saying. You know, maybe you should. They should be saying, "He couldn't breathe." You know, get off his neck. You know, that's really what they meant. They didn't mean, "I can't breathe." So, I hear your compassionate concern for them. I would be very personally. I don't, obviously I don't know, but I suspect that this won't damage them. Um, really, one time. There's no doubt that if you, we have mantras, unconscious uh, mantras about ourselves and the world around us that actually create damage to ourselves and our society. And so we need to be aware of how our words are impacting ourselves and how our words are impacting the people around us. And we need to use our words. This is our teaching in yoga, that we need to use our words to speak what's true, and to elevate everybody towards what's highest and true. That's what we should be doing with our language. Speak the words that are true and that elevate everyone around you. Bring people closer together and elevate people towards truth. So that, that, that's how I would think, and the way I was told, what we should do. But I, I hear your compassionate concern I would recommend that people who are using that, don't say that all the time. They're just making a specific point and they need to be mindful of why they're saying it. If they're not, and they start repeating that as a mantra, that would be dangerous for them. Right. That's how I, that's how I. I
3: would say, allow us to breathe. Allow us to breathe. Might be a little more powerful, right? Like, I mean, it's like you said, like, get off the neck. We're collectively here um, to have our voices
1: heard and let's do, allow us to breathe. Yeah. 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 You know, Gary, let me, let I me in here. Cause we were talking about, you, you were talking about the importance of breath and, and, you know, I did this little experiment on myself the other day, knowing you and Stacy were going to come on and we were going to talk about breath. And I told myself, you know, I'm going to just pay attention to my breath the entire day. I'm going to consciously pay attention to my breath. And I've been doing yoga practice for many years, but I haven't gone for the past few months because of all this, you know, things happening. And I noticed that I was walking around taking very shallow half breaths all day. And that had become my normal to kind of not really take in a full breath. And becoming aware of that really woke me up and brought that to my attention. Hey, you haven't been breathing how you should be breathing. What is your advice for someone listening who's never done any type of yoga, never done any type of yoga therapy or breath practice? What is some tips that you can give them to where they could start paying attention to their breath?
2: Let me first comment on your first comment and then I'll add some, make a suggestion. So most of us are, more or less all of us, breathe somewhere, this is just a range, between 15 and 20 breaths, that's inhale, exhale, in a minute. So most most of our daily activity, the breathing is fairly shallow. That's normal, that's not a problem by itself. When we begin to work with our breath, then what we're doing is lengthening the flow of inhale and exhale so that we're, instead of, for example, taking 15 uh, breaths, or let's say 20 breaths in a minute, which means if you're taking a 20, 20 breaths in one minute, that means each breath is three seconds, correct? You can do the math. So if you're doing your yoga asana and you're inhaling five and exhaling five, that's 10 seconds, that means you're only taking six breaths a minute. And if you're doing pranayama, you might be taking two breaths a minute. Or if you master pranayama, one breath a minute. So what we say is that it's, it's fine to, and everybody just breathes fairly shallowly throughout the day, but if you begin to work with your breath, so that you spend five minutes, even five minutes every day, doing nothing but being present with your breath and gently lengthening the flow of inhale and exhale. And I'll give a specific suggestion. It can change your whole life. It doesn't mean that throughout the day, you're going to be breathing fewer breaths a minute. Although there is an anecdotal story in the yogic tradition, which says that you have a finite, don't take this literally, please, anybody who's listening. You have a finite number of breaths in your life. And so when you completed that last breath, your life is over. So the teaching was to lengthen the flow of your breath so that you live longer. I mean, pranayama, one of the meanings of the word is also to extend the life force, which has been, uh, been um, translated as living longer. It's really not exactly what it means. So, but this five minutes a day with your breath, every day will change your life. And the way to do it, I would say is just to sit and just look at what the natural flow of inhale and exhale is, and then very gently but progressively over three or four minutes, slowly lengthen inhale and lengthen exhale until you reach a comfortable maximum. length lengthen inhale and exhale, and then stay there for a number of breaths, maybe a half a dozen or a dozen breaths, and then very slowly, progressively shorten inhale and exhale until you return to normal breathing. That's safe, uh, and it will be really powerful if you actually do it. So start just sitting, bring your attention to your breath, feel the length of inhale and exhale, and then slowly, gently make inhale and exhale a little longer and then a little longer and then a little longer until you reach a comfortable maximum length of inhale, because usually exhale is longer than inhale. And then stay there for a number of breaths and then just gently but progressively or uh, shorten until you come back to normal breathing. That can change your life and it's safe.
1: And, and I think anyone can do five minutes, so I love that. I love that little tip for anyone out there who's never really done a breathing practice. That's a, it's a great place to start, five minutes a day.
2: And, and if you can't do five minutes a day, do it five minutes three times a week.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Or if you can't do that, do it five minutes once a week. But just start. If you start, it'll change your life. It really, I mean this, has the potential to change your life.
0: That's wonderful, I love that. Um, we've got a few questions here and i thought this might be a good time we've got it looks like we've got around five minutes left or so um, for our uh, podcast today and um and do you want to ask that first or go ahead and read that first question
1: sure so this uh i'm going to start at the bottom so let's start since we've been talking about um you know coronavirus and the current situation someone is asking about the impact of wearing masks on healthy breathing and and what your thoughts are on that.
0: I'm happy to answer that too,
2: so. Well, please go first, doctor.
0: Yeah, Um, and it would be great to have discussion because you might differ from my you know from from my thoughts on it and and i think that this is a great example of how we can lead discussions even if we are not necessarily in agreement this is how you know we make the world go around and how we are able to move forward but um you know masks this is the thing with the masks the masks are not healthy to wear you know they are not helping you with your immune system you are rebreathing your carbon dioxide. You are rebreathing any bacteria or viruses that you may have exhaled. And believe me, you're breathing in viruses and bacteria all day, every day. We have more bacteria and viruses living on us and in us than we have human cells. Um, you know, we are made up of bacteria and viruses. And we need to remember that, you know, we live in, 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 in a symbiotic or, you know, great relationship with these different bacteria and viruses. Um, and, and without them, we would not, you know, the human race would not be where it is today. We would not, you know, we would have gone extinct a long time ago. We need them so that we can stay healthy. There have been um, study after study after study that shows that, um, in fact, even the viruses and bacteria that tend to make us feel sick or that tend to lead us into like a fever and sickness, in the long run, they strengthen our body and they can help prevent bigger, badder diseases later on, like cancers and tumors and things like that. And so, you know, wearing the mask is not going to prevent you from getting a virus. The pore size on the mask is much larger than the size of the virus. The virus can go right through, right? And so, um, you know, the there's so much fear around the virus and everybody thinking that the mask is the answer. The masks are not the answer. Um, you know, and, and the, the virus is going to run its course. Um, you know, whether it was manipulated by man or not is still to be determined, but it, it acts and smells and tastes like a virus. In other words, it's doing what a virus normally does. And, um, you know, by, by getting it, don't be afraid that you're going to get it. Just get it, you know, get it and build your immunity and know that there are, there are treatments that do work. You know, everyone that has died is because they have gone to the hospital and gotten on the ventilators and the ventilators are killing people and the doctors are outraged by it. They have been trying to do things that they know work, like, high dose vitamin C, high dose vitamin D, colloidal silver, nebulizing, you know, uh, colloidal silver. Don't go out and do that on your own unless you talk with somebody who knows what they're doing, you know, and, and doing these other things that they know work. I personally know that they work because I've helped, you know, more than a handful of clients. Um, and, and the doctors are actually suing the FDA right now because they wanted to use things you know they wanted to use other tools that they knew would work and they weren't allowed to they were only allowed to use the um ventilators which in fact ended up killing people so people aren't dying from the virus they're dying from the wrong kind of treatment there are great treatments out there so don't be afraid of the virus don't wear a mask get out there and expose yourself every day to the sunshine to other people you know expose yourself because that is what builds resiliency, and that is what builds your immune function. Wearing a mask is going to make people sick, and I'm really, really concerned about that, actually. What are your thoughts on it, Gary? You may have a completely different thought process on it. So, Well,
2: you know, look, you know, you're an expert in a field of functional medicine that I am not. So um, my thought, and, and I respect what you said, and... I think that you are brave to say some of the things you're saying in a public forum. And I, I applaud your courage. <laughs> As, and I don't disagree, I, I don't have enough knowledge to agree or disagree, actually, about the virus. What I can say about masks is they're being mandated. And so what I would say is the mask is, if you have to go to a store where you have to wear a mask, It's like if you're saying I can't breathe a few times because you're in a protest, don't worry, it's not going to stop your breathing, as long as you make sure that you know why you're saying that. If you know why you're wearing a mask, to get into the bank, to get into the grocery store, and you have to, don't worry about it. Wear the mask and do your thing, and then when you get out of where you have to be, take the mask off and breathe deeply. I've offered, uh, uh, in fact, I started these live streaming Pranayama classes and meditation classes three times a week to help people learn what they can do to build their immunity, to calm their anxiety, to increase their self-confidence and courage, and to think clearly about their future. Because, and I think that's what we can do: offer them, if they have to wear a mask. Like this, isn't a social or an activist statement. It's a practical statement. If you want to go somewhere where the mask is mandated, wear the mask and don't worry about it but then take it off and breathe deeply. As far as whether or not the masks are working, you would know better than I about that. And I imagine there are different kinds of masks. Like I live in California. We had horrible fires uh, for several years in a row now. And before this COVID crisis, we got N95 masks. And ultimately we had to leave our home for a week because the air was so bad and we spent thousands of dollars on high-end air purifiers and we got the n95 mask i can tell you from my experience in fires the n95 mask makes a big difference but it's not good to wear a mask all day so we you know what i mean it's so the mask is a problem but the mask may be something that you have to do you can say whether it works or not i can say because you have to do it to go to those environments just do it and don't worry about it but then when you get away from those environments, take them off and breathe deeper. That's how I think about things. I'm very pragmatic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. We got a couple more questions I think we can squeeze in. This one's from Genevieve. I'm gonna paraphrase it just a little bit because it's a long one, but Genevieve says that she recently understood how important it is to use nose breathing on inhalation and exhalation. She says she's heard both ways to you know, inhale through the nose, breathe out through the nose, Inhale through the nose, breathe out through the mouth. So Gary, she's asking you what, what your view is on, I guess, a proper way to, to do a breath.
2: Well, so let me speak from the perspective of the yoga tradition. Kuchimajari said the mouth is for eating and speaking.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, you know, that, that in, in pranayama and in asana, we wanna inhale and exhale with the mouth closed through the nose. There are breathing techniques uh, where we would inhale through, um, the, with, through the mouth with a curled tongue like this. So those have particular purposes. The general recommendation is to, the, the nose has cilia that are filters. So the, the teaching from yoga is that we evolved the way we did because we should be breathing through our nose, not through our mouth. But if we're doing certain ex, extreme exertion, then there's a reason to exhale through the mouth, or if we're doing certain pranayama techniques, there's a reason to inhale through the mouth, like with the tongue. Uh, uh, per, if you're working with asthmatics, you know, pursed lip breathing is exhaling through the mouth. So there are reasons to do anything, but the general teaching is it's for breath work. It's better to breathe through the nose with your mouth closed, and you know that expression catching flies. If you keep your mouth open, it can be dehydrating also, <laughs> just by the way. So we yeah. would say breathe through the nose, unless there's a reason why you're breathing, inhale or exhale, there can be real reasons to breathe through the mouth. And then, then if you know the reasons, that's a reason you're doing it intentionally. Otherwise, breathe through the nose.
3: Yeah, and... Oh. can I hop, hop in on that? That's you know the training of a therapist. It's quite intense that You know, the first 500 hours of Gary's program, you're learning the tools of yoga. So you're learning the shapes or postures called asanas. You're learning about pranayama, the breath control and breath techniques. Um, You're learning chanting, meditation. And then the second 500 hours, which I spent, I did, I finished the first program in 07. Then I taught and trained and studied. For 11 years before I went back and did the other 500 hours, and I'm glad, (laughs) Gary, that I was able to absorb and uh, establish a really strong practice before I went and studied all the clinical stuff. So then the second 500 hour, you're studying all the clinical stuff, structurally, physiologically, um, mental health, you know, end of life stuff, and how to apply those tools based on what's going on with someone on a multi, as you said, a multi-dimensional level. So it's, it's complex. It's complicated. It's highly clinical.
0: And that's where, you know, and that's where for those, uh, you know, for our listeners who are joining us today, that's where getting a coach is great, you know, um, because they can teach you how to use these tools and, you know, when you may want to breathe through your mouth, as opposed through your, you know, uh, through your nose. Um, you know, from a clinical perspective, I can tell you that there is much greater oxygen perfusion breathing through your nose than you have breathing through your mouth. In other words, you are absorbing and uptaking a lot more oxygen when you breathe through your nose uh, because you have many, many capillaries. Coming up through your nose into the sinuses and then back down into your lungs. You know, so you have a lot of capillaries up here where your body can actually grab on oxygen. When you're breathing through your mouth like that, you have a decreased oxygen perfusion, and so I you know that's why, in particular, like when you're running or when you're downhill skiing, I say that because I do a lot of that in the wintertime, you know, breathing through your, breathing through your nose, you're, you know, you're going to get a lot more oxygen saturation than if you're breathing through your mouth. But when you go through these types of trainings and you're using breath, you know, you're using, you know, yoga therapy coaches, uh, breath therapy coaches, you know, whatever term is familiar for you, um, they can teach you why in certain instances you might want to breathe through your mouth um, so that you can achieve you know a certain benefit from that. Exactly. You know, we have someone
1: asking how they can work with you, Gary, or we oh. also have our clients who can work with Stacy as well. So do you do virtual appointments? Does someone uh, ask you? Yes.
2: There? So uh, currently right now uh, I'm offering three 30 minute only intentionally, live streaming classes, uh, Tuesday and Friday um, are more about breathing and Sunday is more about meditation. And you can access them going to our website, www.vinyoga.com And then you can email uh, um, vinyoga.com. it's uh, probably info at um, and and I, I do virtual privates and virtual workshops. And then one day, maybe one day, I remember back when I was a little a young man that we used to be able to shake hands and hug each other. Maybe that'll come again. I'm just joking. You know, I think things will open up uh, and then people can do trainings, workshops or individual privates with me. Um, I'm opening up a whole window of private schedules this summer now through virtual. So viniyoga.com is the resource to access our live streaming classes or to set up an an appointment working with me privately.
0: Absolutely, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um, And and Stacey also uh, can provide that. Uh, We have those uh, services also virtually through Modern Holistic Health. You can go to our booking page on modernholistichealth.com and um, and you can book with Stacy as well. So we're right here, you've got two amazing experts. And so, you know, whichever one resonates with you, then, you know, take some action. Um, these are and powerful. Find people- a
2: functional medicine doctor. I mean, this stuff, I, I mean, you know, from someone in this field, I'm probably the oldest person here in this field of healthcare for 45 years. Um, if I had only met someone like you, doctor, uh, it, you know, 30 years ago, I mean, I just really feel that this is the cutting edge of modern medicine and I really wanna give it a 1000% support. Uh, really, thank you for the work you're doing, you guys.
0: Thank you, thank you so much. And we would love to have you know, both of you back again. So we will definitely be in touch with you, Gary. Thank you so much. And Good Stacey, honor. thank you. Thank you for opening the, you know, the door for this opportunity for us to get to uh, meet Gary and chat with Gary today. And thank you for being here again with us, Stacy. And, you know, maybe since we're, you know, on this topic, um, you know, maybe we can do um, an interactive on one of our upcoming Uh, tribe talks Stacey that might be fun to get to do something interactive and you're welcome as well Gary we would love to have you back maybe we can do something interactive if that's something that you're open to to kind of give people a little bit of an experience Um, but yeah thank you so much you guys have a lovely day we love you all who are watching and we are with you and all you got to do is just reach out if you're ready to make some changes in your life thank you so much
2: and I'd just like to say, if I can, one moment, that Stacy is an extraordinary human being and an extraordinary uh, yoga teacher and therapist. So if you guys are down there and have an opportunity to connect with her, she does fabulous, creative, effective work. And I'm honored to, to know her and to count her on my team. So thanks, Stacey.
3: Wow. <laughs>
2: it's true. Thank
0: you so it's much. True.
3: I'm very
2: pragmatic, so it's only the truth. <laughs>
0: yeah. We know, we know. Stacy is amazing. That's why we've yeah. got her on our team. Stacy, <laughs> Stacy really helps transform people's lives, and and uh, you know, we were so lucky. I feel so blessed that uh, that you know we got to run into each other a few years ago, Stacy.
3: And, you know, just real quick, the way I am connected to Dr. V is because about five years ago, I took my son, who at the time was 14, and was struggling with some anxiety, some gut issues, and I found her. That's one thing that I'm good, really good at, is I find the people that are visionaries. And you've taught me, Gary, to think that way and uh, sure enough, she helped him, and his symptoms went way down, and he's been a different person going into his teenage years, and now as a 19-year-old, so I told her early on, maybe six months in, I said, I want to work with you, <laughs> and same thing with Ann, you know, she's like, we want to, we, we love Dr. V, she's, to know her is to love her, and, um, <laughs> I mean, she's a lot of fun. So I like to be around people who are fun, (laughs) but um, she has a good heart as you do too, Gary. So and I think all of us do.
2: So um, So thank you guys.
0: Thank you. We will join us. Join us next week. Uh, We will be following up with you through email to let you know who our next amazing guest is going to be. And until then, have a beautiful day. Talk to everyone soon. Bye-bye.
1: Bye. Bye. Thank you.